Oh man, blood and guts, visions and fire. I mean, chapter 15 is an exciting chapter and an extremely important chapter uh, in the life of Abraham and for the life of our faith. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Mr. Thomason's Bible Class. I am Mr. Thomason, and today we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 15. Now, coming off of the last chapter, chapter 14, we met this guy named Melchizedek. I'm not going to really go into details about him as I have a whole podcast uh, on him last time in my last episode that you can check out. But uh, the chapter 15 is an exciting chapter. Uh, the, the God shows up speaks to Abram again, uh, and we have this whole kind of setup of covenant going on in chapter 15. But the very first thing that God speaks to Abram is, do not fear. And this is important, uh, and I say that a lot, but every, <laughs> honestly, everything about the Bible is important, right? But this is important. We, we don't know really the time difference between chapter 14 and 15, but Abram is now... Um, been in this battle to save his nephew Lot. He has now made enemies in the land of Canaan. They know who he is. Um, he had a great victory and he meets this guy named Melchizedek who honors him. And um, But he also rejects the king of Sodom's uh, offer to um, give him various goods. Uh, and he says in verse 21 of chapter 14, he says to the king of Sodom, he says the um, give the people to me and take the goods for yourself. Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have sworn to the Lord God, most high, high, uh, possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take a thread or a sandal or anything that is yours. For fear, you would say, I have made Abram rich. So going into chapter 15, we have this understanding that um, Abram is now well known in the land of Canaan and kings um, have been defeated by him. And so Abram could have a lot to fear. I mean, he could have have enemies. We don't know how Sodom, the king of Sodom, took this response from Abram. Um, but we do know that in the midst of this fear, Abram is told by God to not fear. But he also says, I'm a shield to you. All right. And of course, a shield represents protection. And, um, you know, Abram's faith was really strong in chapter 14 going after these kings with only 318 men um, but we're kind of seeing where his faith is starting to waver a little bit in chapter 15 so God kind of reassures him that I'm a shield to you I'm your protector and um, we also understand he says your reward shall be very great and coming off of you know chapter 14 again where he rejects the king of Sodom's offer, you know, the greater offer we see here is God himself. Your reward shall be very great. I am a shield to you. Do not fear Abram. Um, these are all things where God is saying, hey, look, those things don't matter. I am what matters. I am what satisfies, right? Now, before I move on, a couple applications for that, you know, for me and myself, like I, I often think of like, what am I fearing what am I wanting in life what do I what am I scared of and um, many times I look to other things to kind of fill that void uh, to maybe 
bring some satisfaction in life. And how many times does God call out and say, hey, you know what? Don't fear. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be great. And of course, that's so true in Christ. Um, But I forget that like Abram. So I don't want to be too harsh on Abram. And just to remind myself that um, this whole time, Abram has had faith, um, yet he struggles with doubt. And that's not uncommon with any of us, right? Um, We can have faith in God and in the Lord and Christ, but we can all struggle with uh, to trust in those things and and to keep our eyes fixed on Christ. But here, God is is reassuring Abram to not fear uh, that he is a shield and that he would be a great reward to him. How does Abram respond? Well, of course, he responds in fear. And that's what we're going to look at next. So Abram has a lot to fear. I mean, we talked about the fact that he's living in a land that's not his. Uh, He's a stranger and a sojourner in this land. Uh, He has just defeated all these kings, so he's made enemies and some allies. Um, But I think, uh, well, not what I think, but really what the word shows us is that one of the greatest fears that Abram has right now is the fear that he doesn't have an heir to his house. And where do I see that? Of course, it's in verse 2. You know, God just tells Abram, do not fear. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And if, you know, my thought is like, if if God is speaking this to me, then I'd be like, man, nothing can touch this, right? Well, that's not the response that Abram has. Abram has this response of fear. And he says, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, "Since you have given me no or you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir." And in one, two, three, four um, verses, this word "heir" is mentioned four times, um, and so this is a key word, right? So remember, if there is a word that's repeated over and over, and we see this, then the author is trying to show us something. Um, anyway, so the he is concerned about not having an heir to his house. And right now, culturally, uh, the one that is going to be heir to him is his servant, Eliezer of Damascus. Well, Abram's not happy about this, and he's anxious about this. And this is an interesting um, thing about anxiety. Uh, biblically speaking, when we, if you pull back the layers of anxiety, usually it is a fear of something, right? Um, and so um, we're anxious people because we are trying to protect something. We live in a world that's dangerous. And so we live in fear. Uh, we live in a world that is um, that that influences our anxiety. And Abram is no different. He's anxious about his heir. Um, and he's, his response is one out of fear, out of a desire for a child. And this language here that he gives us in verses two through three is is kind of like he's blaming God for the fact that he doesn't have a child. And, um, you know, he says, what will you give me um, since I am childless? He says, since you have given me no offspring, um, he's starting. It's 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 fear, anxiety, almost kind of sounds like anger mixed all in together. Right. Um and um, 
this is this uh, verse three where he says, "Since you have given me no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir." This is similar to what we've already read in Genesis. The students have already read in Genesis, back in Genesis three, when Adam is being confronted by God, instead of owning up to the fact that, "Hey, this is my situation." And this is what I've done. We saw Adam, where Adam said, um, "The woman whom you gave me made me eat." Right. So he blames Adam. Blames everybody else, um, and charges God for giving him something that caused his sin. Right. But here we have Abram charging God for not giving something um, that is causing fear in Abram. Um, and God's response is really a response of grace. Um, it, you know, God has already told Abram, oh, three times, uh, chapter 12, twice, I think, in chapter 13 as well. And then, well, maybe this is the third time here in chapter 15. But he's already told Abram multiple times he's going to have descendants, right? Um, but God's response to Abram is is one of grace and mercy and love and compassion. Um, if I were God in my sinful nature, that's why I'm not God. But if I were God in my sinful nature, I pretty sure like I would be like, dude, are you an idiot? Like I I told you twice already. You're gonna have descendants. I've told you that they're gonna be as numerous as the dust. Right? Remember, he says that in chapter 13. They're gonna be as numerous as the dust. They will own the land. Um, like what I say is true. I would think like God, well, <laughs> my own sinful nature would be like, dude, you're an idiot. But God, again, God's character shows forth here in the fact that he's, he's gracious, he's compassionate, he's patient. And he says in verse four, this man will not be your heir. He's talking about Eliezer of Damascus there, but but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Now, I know that most people who's listening or maybe listening to this podcast, you know, they understand what that means. But sometimes I I have to literally tell the children that no, Abram will not have a child that is literally coming from his own body. Um, sixth graders tend to take things very literal. And so I have to explain to them, like, nope, that's not what that's saying. If you don't understand what that's saying, you can talk to your parents. <laughs> All right. So if you have questions, parents, I'm sorry. But anyways, um, God promises him again that he's going to have a child. Uh, but what's a little bit different about here in chapter 15 is that this is the first time really that God's confirmed that the child, that the that his heir will come from his own body. Um Culturally speaking, again, he could have descendants sort of through Eliezer of Damascus. Um, but this is the first time in chapter 15 that God tells him uh, that you're going to have your own child that's going to come from your own body. And then not only did God tell him in chapter 13 that, that his descendants were going to be as numerous as the stars. I'm sorry, as the dust. Totally just ruined it there. But uh, but he also tells him here in verse 5 of chapter 15 that uh, he takes him out, tells him to look towards the heavens and count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So um, 
for us here in Chattanooga, if if you're in the Chattanooga area, if you're listening, you know, like when we go outside, we don't see a ton of stars. But uh, from my perspective here, like I, well, whenever I was 18, I got to intern at a Bible training center down in Eleuther, Bahamas. And one night down there in the summer, um, the electricity went out on the whole island. And of course, there's no pollution in the Bahamas. Um, and the clouds were just gone and it was completely black. And we could see all of the stars that the Milky Way had to offer. And we saw the Milky Way. It was that clear. It was just incredible. We would lay there on the concrete and just stared for hours because it was something I had never seen before. And there, you know, obviously we know this, but there's so many stars. And God is 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 reassuring him, like, look, man, like your your descendants are gonna be as numerous as the stars if you're able to count them. And of course he can't. Verse six lets us know what Abram or how Abram responded. And this is an extremely important verse, and I want to focus on this in the next section. All right, so we're just coming off of where God responds to Abram and kind of Abram's harsh, anxious, um, fear-based response to God's kind of promise or or encouragement at the beginning of the chapter. Um, But God's response to Abram's harsh, uh, fearful response is one that is um, compassionate, kind. Um, We see that he is... Uh, patient, and this is really revealing of the character of God. And we have already seen this character in God multiple times in Genesis. And uh, you know, just to stop here for a second and think, um, many people see God in the Old Testament as this really cruel man who's ready to jump on us um, and on our sin and just punish. But throughout Genesis, we have seen from the very beginning that God's character is one that's patient and kind and loving and merciful and gracious. Um, The kids learned earlier this year that grace is receiving something you don't deserve and mercy is not receiving something you did deserve. Um, And this response is gracious uh, and it's merciful, really Abram's response is one that is not out of faith and you know God could easily go you know what Uh, I'm moving on I don't have to work through this particular person but that's not what he gets right so he receives mercy in this Um, and not only that but the Lord continues to reassure him that he's going to have descendants and that they're going to be as numerous as the stars so he's getting something he doesn't deserve as well right and that's grace and so um, God shows him and says, so shall your descendants be. And verse six is a foundational verse, not just for Genesis, but it's foundational for the way Paul views righteousness and faith in the New Testament. Therefore, it's so applicable for us as well. Um, so verse six, he responds, or it says that 
then he Abraham or Abram believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness now there's some re- really interesting terms here um, it shows that Abram believed in the Lord and um, it says that he reckoned it to him as righteousness this word reckoned or as the ESV I believe translated as credited um, is is a banking term here and we talked about in class how you know a debit is you take out of the account whereas reckoned or credit you put into the account so Abram believed we're not really seeing any works here we're not seeing that he's been good enough to receive righteousness but it shows that in this situation Abraham I keep saying Abraham he's not Abraham yet <laughs> Abram believed in the Lord and it was put into his account as righteousness um, that's what faith does uh, Abram's character is one that has faith in the Lord with struggle and um, I thank God that that's us too like I that you know if if I struggled and the Lord just decided you know what forget it he struggles well man like I would have lost the Lord years ago um, but the Lord continues to show his kindness and his mercy and grace to me through Christ um, and because um, I trust in what God has done through his son Jesus like that faith is reckoned to me as righteousness and there's so many verses that I could jump to on this but really what's um, one that we looked in class is Galatians 3 and I'm just gonna pull up my scriptures here real quick I don't know if it's weird like in a podcast if um, you hear typing in the background or whatever but that's what I'm doing pulling up scripture anyways uh, so Galatians 3 uh, this is Paul talking Paul it writes half of the New Testament I mean he's a major um, writer towards the, the letters of the New Testament and he's speaking to a people group that um, had come to faith in, in the Lord, but then uh, there was those that kind of crept into their their um, communities and started teaching that, you know, really, if you're going to be saved, you need to obey the law. And, um, of course, um, those certain people were saying, Abraham's our father, uh, you need to obey the law in order to receive the Spirit and um, Paul's confronting this and he says you foolish Galatians who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified this is the only thing I want to find out from you did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith are you so foolish having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain so then does he who provide you with the spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith so again Paul's confronting this like hey did you did you receive the Spirit because you were good enough or did you receive the Spirit because you trusted that Christ was good enough right that you had faith in what he had done and this is Paul's um, kind of ground and his basis for his argument here that it's by faith it says in Galatians 3 verse 6 even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness therefore be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham 
Okay, so really cool verses here uh, that Paul pulls out uh, to um, give grounds for his argument. It's that, hey, you know what? You didn't receive the Spirit by being good enough and doing all the right things. You received the Spirit because you trusted that Christ was good enough and that He did all the work for you. And um, how do we know this? Well, they were saying, look, we're, we're children of Abraham. We have the law. You need to do what we do in order to really for God to love you. And Paul reminds, is this is kind of a slap in their face, really. And he does this in Romans as well. Um, but he reminds them that, look, was Abraham a Jew? Was Abraham, had Abraham received the law? Well, of course not. Abraham hadn't received the law yet back in his day. The law hadn't even been written down. Uh, the nation of Israel hadn't even been established. So how did Abram uh, or Abraham here, how did he receive righteousness? How was he seen as being in the state of right? Um, well, he believed what God had done and what God was going to do. And it was put into his account as righteousness. And so it says, therefore, all right, the conclusion is it's those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now, my question here was for the class was, look, how many people in history have come to faith in Christ? And the kids kind of respond, well, you know, way too many to count. And I was like, well, hold up. What did you say? You know, and they're like, two, there's just too many to count. You can't count all the people that are in faith. Um, and I said, and so those, those people that you can't count, who are they according to this verse? Those are the sons of Abraham. Well, wait a minute. What did Jesus, or not Jesus, what did God say back in Genesis uh, 15 uh, about the, the stars, right? And it says, of course, um, now look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. All right, so shall your descendants be. So, man, like the connection there was great. And in seeing that, you know, those who are seen as descendants of Abram are, are, are those that, that come to faith uh, in Christ and like Abraham believed in the Lord. And it's those who believe that they are seen as righteous because of what Christ has done for them. That's the gospel, y'all. And Genesis 15 is proclaiming it here. Um, he goes on to say in Galatians um, that the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. And that verse is straight from Genesis 12, verse 3. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. All right, so it's not by being good enough that God loves you, uh, that won't save you. And if that's your mindset, hey, you know what, like I do all these bad things, but if I counteract with uh, being good enough, um, that's not going to save you. It's not going to save you. The only way that we have salvation and that we're seen as right is by putting our trust, recognizing that God has been doing the work since the beginning, uh, Genesis, right? He's, God's been doing all the work. We have been the faithless ones. But God has been the faithful one. And we trust. And so, man, Genesis 15.6 is a foundational verse for our faith. Yet there's so much more going on in this chapter. And I'm going to stop it for right now. Uh, and I'll have a part two in just a minute.
Okay, so here is where we get to some of the great, cool, bloody guts part, right? Um, so we see that Abram believes God and it's counted him as righteousness. And the Lord says to him, uh, he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it, right? And so God is declaring what he's already t- declared to Abraham or again, uh, Abram multiple times. Um, and Abram responds to God, well, oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? Um, so, you know, you said this God, um, multiple times to me, but how do I know that I will possess it? Um, and I think this is actually kind of a, um, step of faith for Abram here. He's just believed God in his descendant. And now he's understanding that, um, um, you know, how, how will I know I will possess it? Uh, this is an act of faith in the sense of like, he's going deeper saying, all right, let's bring us into this relationship. And God does something pretty crazy. Um, um, and honestly, it's not necessarily crazy in the time period. It's, this is, uh, God is going to initiate a covenant with Abram. And this is, uh, actually a means that, um, is usually done between Kings and of the time and so they would make a covenant with each other usually a greater uh, king uh, would would um, help out a smaller kingdom and they would make this covenant and it was kind of a pact uh, a, a contract and they would um, kind of go through this whole ritual process that would involve blood in some way and basically saying like if this happens you know, if one of us breaks the covenant, then may what we did with this blood happen to us. And so God initiates this covenant and he uses this this kind of um, pact contract cultural thing that's done in the time period to show that um, he's going to be faithful in what he says he's going to do. So he tells him in verse 9 to bring him a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, and a turtle dove, and a pigeon. Um, and very specific here, and God tells him that he's that Abram's supposed to cut them in two and lay each half opposite the other, uh, but he did not cut the birds. And of course, to show like this takes time, they're in a hot sun, Abram's probably hacking away and he's got blood all over him. This is a traumatic event, right? You don't just read these two verses and move on. You have to kind of place yourself in this situation that this is this is blood and gore and guts. And um, verse 11 is just really cool in the fact that it tells us that the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses and Abram drove them away. And I think that's really just to show us that this is taking time and these carcasses are laying out in the in this hot sun and um you know birds of prey are coming now to try and strip away at these carcasses and abram's trying to drive them away but at the same time he's trying to cut through the animals and um he's laying them uh into and i mean he this is probably an all-day event for abram um and it tells us in verse 12 that the sun goes down and a deep sleep falls upon Abram 
and behold, a terror and great darkness fell upon him. Um, he's exhausted probably from the day. The Lord sends him into a deep sleep. God says to him while he's sleeping, he says, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And afterward, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. Okay, so this is the covenant that God makes with Abram. And it tells us that he comes down um, and... When the sun had set, it was very dark. And it says, There appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch, which passed between these pieces. So these two pieces, blood, all right, everywhere, but they're played in two uh, places, which creates this kind of aisle, and the Lord passes through these pieces. Again, that is um, a the cultural kind of understanding of, of making this covenant where the, the kings would walk through this blood and um, it is basically saying if I break this covenant or if one of us breaks this covenant may what happened to these animals happen to that person Um, but before I get into more detail about that I really want to focus on what God makes the covenant with and to see if it kind of evokes some images that we maybe um, um we may already know from our past from children's church <laughs> you know um so it says know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs so number one his descendants will be strangers in a land that's not theirs number two uh they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years number three uh god's going to judge that nation whom they serve and number four they're going to come out with many possessions uh, God tells Abram that he's going to go to his fathers in peace and he will be buried at a good old age. But then he goes back to the, gen- the, the, the descendants and it says, In the fourth generation, they will return here. Of course, where is the here? Well, you know, God's making this covenant with Abram in Canaan. So they will return to the promised land. So if you haven't picked up already, God's talking about the Exodus, right? And if you've seen Prince of Egypt, which, by the way, is not a biblically accurate portrayal of Moses, but if you've seen Prince of Egypt, you know what this is talking about. This is talking about the Exodus, where the nation of Israel is oppressed by Egypt. Um, God sends the plagues over Pharaoh and the nation, and afterward uh, just wipes out Egypt, and Israel leaves with all of Egypt's possessions. Um, and so we know this uh, this covenant will be fulfilled, and um, it's the fourth generation that will return uh, to the land, to the promised land. Um, and so we understand that to be the Exodus, uh, which is pretty cool. This should also, though, uh, evoke um, or remind us what has already happened to Abram. Um, it may have been familiar to him, but back in chapter 12, we know that Abram went to Egypt because of a famine, right? And while he's in Egypt, um, God sends a plague over Pharaoh 
and then he walks out with many possessions. So what happened to Abram is going to happen to his descendants. Um, and that was a foreshadow, of course, of what's going to happen to the Israelites. And of course, we know that as New Testament believers, that we now see ourselves as these Israelites who are in exile at the moment in this wilderness, that this is not our home. And we know that one day we will return as well. So this is sort of pushing even further. Um, but we're definitely seeing where this is pointing us towards the Exodus. Now, uh, I talked about the fact that um, the covenant, if it's broken, what this is saying is if if one of us breaks the covenant, may this happen to us, right? So um, somebody's blood is going to be spilled. And guess what? We know it's, it's uh, that God is the one who's faithful throughout history towards his covenant to Abram, to Noah, uh, to Moses in the Mosaic covenant, and to David in the Davidic covenant. Um, and it is not God who breaks the covenant. It is the people who break the covenant. And so truly, we are the ones who are to be, um, whose blood is to be spilt. But rather, what we know as New Testament believers that uh, the one who actually spills the blood is, of course, Jesus, the very Son of God, who comes and lays down his life for us, uh, for those that have sinned against God's covenant. Um, if you haven't figured this out yet, uh, it's so vital to see that from Genesis 3 onwards, it's usually God who is the faithful one and who is doing the work for us. Um, so Genesis 3, right? Like we know that the, the penalty of death is sin. The penalty of death is sin. Wow. Uh, no, the penalty of sin is death. And uh, Adam and Eve deserve to die. And, you know, they try their best with the, the leaves to cover their nakedness. But rather, uh, that just doesn't do it. And what... Um, you would think like the justice of God, he doesn't just sweep Adam and Eve's sin under the rug. Something does die in Genesis 3, and that's the innocent animal whose skin covers their nakedness. And of course, that's pointing us to the gospel as well in the sense that um, God's, that, 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 wow, that Jesus's uh, blood covers our nakedness, our shame, our guilt. Um, so we see where God does the work in Genesis 3. Uh, there's multiple other places already in Genesis that we see God, um, who is the faithful one, who does the work for us. Uh, we're seeing this here in Genesis 15. Uh, you'll see it in the rest of the Old Testament. And of course you see it ultimately in the gospel, in that Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Genesis 15 again, is pointing us to the gospel. And it ends on saying that on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, the Kenizzite, the Kadmonite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Rephaim, the Amorite, and the Canaanite, and the Girgashite, and the Jebusite. And remember who's writing Genesis, it's Moses, and he's writing to the nation of Israel. So they would have remembered these places 
and these people groups um, from going through the wilderness. Um, but it's really cool that he says in verse 18 that to your descendants, I have given this land. It doesn't say to your descendants, I will give this land, but I have given this land. We can know this to be true for us too, as New Testament believers. And that's what I want to talk about in the conclusion of this podcast. Okay, so we've been seeing how Genesis 15 has been pointing us to the gospel. Uh, Ultimately, that Christ is the one who shed his blood so that uh, the penalty would be paid uh, because we are the faithless ones while God has been faithful this whole time. Um, We rightfully titled this chapter the Abrahamic Covenant. Um, There are... Uh, five covenants. So you have the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, and ultimately you have the Messianic covenant. Um, And we understand that it is because of God and because of Christ that we too are looking forward to a land that we're, that, that, that we are, um, that really we're exiles in this land and our home is another land, of course, uh, in heaven with Christ, the new Jerusalem, the new heavens, the new earth, where we're with Jesus, where we're with God, and we're dwelling with him as it was supposed to be in Genesis 1 and 2. Um, So, Genesis 15, uh, a huge chapter in uh, the foundation for faith, and pretty cool chapter, and I look forward to moving on into Genesis 16 in the coming days. This is Mr. Thomason, and class is dismissed.